Chapter Seven of As in a Mirror by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven Looking On John Stuart King, familiar as he was with the world and with what he had been pleased to call society, made discoveries at the annual gathering of the Bennettville Club. He had not supposed that such conditions existed as he found there in his position as a looker-on there was abundant chance for the sort of study that he desired and he made good use of it the gathering was large and he could not but think representative from the country homes for miles around had come the young people boys and girls many of them being by no means old enough to be called ladies and gentlemen even had their manners justified the terms distinctly there were two classes of people present the intelligent refined and reasonably cultured and the smart handsome slightly reckless young people whose advantages in the way of culture had been limited there were almost none present who did not know to a certain extent how to dress that is they had given thought and care and some knowledge to the study of making themselves look pretty and to a degree had succeeded some of the material was flimsy enough and to the lookers-on skilled eye lacked details that he had been in the habit of seeing but the general effect as a rule was striking bright colors were in the ascendant of course but the wearers had some idea of harmony and the blondes and brunettes had instinctively chosen their colors on the whole it was not with the style of dress that the critic could find most fault when it came to the question of manner there were startling innovations upon accepted ideas the man who had been hired for fifty cents to take care of the horses and allowed between times to look on felt his pulses beating high with indignation long before the evening was over it was the position of the better of the two distinct classes that excited his wrath some of these evidently moved among the guests with an air of amused tolerance he readily selected the young woman nanny and her friend rex from the others they were evidently amused at many of the scenes he overheard snatches of talk when they would meet at the end of a game that ought instead to have been called a romp i must say i don't wonder that hildreth elliot wanted to escape this the gentleman said half laughing yet shaking his head some of the boys are almost rough yes but they mean only fun what is the use in trying to be so superior it is their annual frolic and a time-honored institution i do not think they are ever quite so wild on other evenings elfie didn't escape it you see or rather she did escape i presume and is here in all her glory how pretty the witch looks to-night did you see her when rob sterrett tried to kiss her i should not have thought that rob would have tried his skill in that family again it was he who filled hildreth with wrath elfie was too much for him i really think the child bit him i know she scratched the sentence ended in a burst of laughter what would the two have thought if they could have known that just back of them shielded from view by a portier was the elliot's hired man his face dark with indignation 
Games? He had wondered what they could be like to arouse a lady's indignation. Now he saw. Very foolish games they seemed to be, for the most part, having the merest shred of the intellectual to commend them, and that so skillfully managed that the merest child in intellect might have joined in them heartily. But the distinctly objectionable features seemed to be connected with the system of forfeits attached to each game. These, almost without exception, involved much kissing. Of course, the participants in this entertainment were the young ladies and gentlemen. There seemed to be a certain amount of discrimination exercised by the distributor of the forfeits, yet occasionally such guests as Nanny and Rex and others of their class would be drawn into the vortex, and seemed to yield, as if to the inevitable, with what grace they could. John watched a laughing scramble between the said nanny and an awkward country boy who could not have been over fifteen. He came off victorious, for she rubbed her cheek violently with her handkerchief and looked annoyed, even while she tried to laugh. But the college boys were far more annoying than the country youths without advantages. John Stewart, looking on, felt his face glow with indignation as he saw with what abandon these young men, who supposed themselves to represent the very cream of modern culture, rushed into the rudest of the forfeits, and scrambled as if for college prizes. There was an immense amount of scrambling and screaming and apparent unwillingness on the part of the ladies, yet one could not but feel that after all, as they were invariably conquered, they submitted with remarkable resignation. Occasionally there was an exception. Elfrida Elliot, for instance, announced distinctly early in the evening that no one need put her name on for one of those silly forfeits, for she would have nothing to do with them. As she might have known, had she been more familiar with such scenes, this was the signal for putting her name on continually. But the boys who came in contact with her learned that, unlike many of the maidens present, she had undoubtedly meant what she said. With the college boys she fared better than with the acquaintances of her lifetime. They speedily discovered that the prettiest girl in the room had a mind of her own if she was so young. More than once her emphatic, "'No, indeed! I am not to be kissed on cheek or hair or hand, and you will be kind enough to understand it,' held at a respectful distance a moustached youth who had just distinguished himself by subduing one of her schoolmates. But the boys who had been brought up in the neighborhood did not understand it, and thought it was ridiculous for Elf Elliot to put on airs with them. To her encounter with the objectionable Rob Sterrett, John Stewart had been not only a listener, but a participator. After the first scramble was over, and it had been an angry one on Elfrida's part, during which the scratching and possible biting referred to had taken place, most of the company supposed that Rob Sterrett had yielded the point and acknowledged himself worsted. But this was not his idea of valor. He followed the girl to the hall and began again. "'Come now, Elf, don't be ridiculous. It's all in fun, you know. But I must pay my forfeit upon my word, or I shall never hear the last of it.' I won't be rough, I won't, honestly. 
i'll just give you a delicate little kiss such as the minister might if he was young enough and let it go at that the young girl's eyes fairly blazed at him as she said rob steerit don't you dare to try to kiss me if you had the first idea of what it is to be a gentleman you would know better than to refer to it even after what i have said he mistook her for an actress i don't wonder you play the tigress elf it becomes you vastly you do it better than hildreth but then of course you know i must pay my forfeit it's a double forfeit if i fail and a good deal at stake upon my word you must it was then that john stuart had stepped from his station just behind the door and said i intend to protect this young lady from whatever is disagreeable to her he had certainly never spoken more quietly but his low-pitched voice had reserved strength in it and his whole manner was curiously unlike that of the young fellows about him and curiously impressive rob steerit a sort of accepted rough in the neighborhood tall strong-limbed generally good-natured priding himself on his strength and impudence stood back and looked his unbounded astonishment putting it into a single explosive question who the dickens are you i am mr elliot's hired man and as such consider that i have a right to protect his daughter oh you do well you insufferable idiot there is nothing to protect her from it is only a game i understood you were here to look after horses i advise you to attend to your own business but he had walked away at once and left elfrida to the hired man's care nothing certainly had ever startled him so much as the strange sense of power held in check that the brief sentence had conveyed to him elfrida's face blanched it was the first she had seen of john the first she had known of his presence john she said in a low whisper did they send you for me oh no miss elfrida i am here as your friend said merely to look after the horses your father gave me permission to earn an extra half dollar in this way but i saw that the man was annoying you and thought i ought to interfere the color flamed into the girl's cheeks the strangeness of her situation impressed her her father's hired man trying to protect her from her friend he did not mean any harm she said quickly it is a way they have of playing games that is some of the young people have that way it is horrid i never realized how horrid until to-night hildreth is right john you meant well i am sure so i thank you but she hesitated and then said looking up at him half appealingly they don't know at home that i am here he did not help her in the least she half turned from him as if in impatience then turned back to say haughtily there are reasons why i do not care to have them know it just now i do not suppose you consider it a part of your duty to report that you saw me i do not see that it is at least not unless i am questioned of course if a question should be asked me the reply to which should involve the truth i should have to speak it she was growing very angry with him he could tell that by the flash in her eyes oh indeed 
she said. You are a worshipper of truth, are you? A remarkable hired man, certainly. Don't be afraid. I am not going to ask you to tell any falsehoods in my behalf. I do not think my family will be likely to question you as to my whereabouts. Are you always so careful of your words? You would do for a disciple of— Well, never mind. She had whirled away from him as she spoke. He knew that his face had flamed, and was vexed that it was so. Why should he fancy himself stabbed whenever the truth was mentioned? What if he were acting a part for a little time? It was an innocent part, certainly, with a noble motive behind it, and with no possibility of harming anyone by the venture. Had the girl meant that he would do for a disciple of her sister? Would he? Would those pure eyes of hers look with favor on even so laudable a simulation as his? In spite of himself, there was a growing dissatisfaction within him whenever he thought of Hildreth Elliot, and the bar he had himself built between her and any possible friendship. And yet, there was a growing determination to remain in just the position he was, until he had demonstrated to his own satisfaction certain truths, which truths had nothing to do with tramps. Some truths he demonstrated that night. One was that certain country neighborhoods entertained themselves in ways that other country neighborhoods, where education and culture had permeated society, did not suspect. Another was that some of the cultured ones, either because of careless good nature, like Nanny and Rex, or because of far worse motives, like some of the college boys, fostered by their presence this very condition of things. Still another was that Hildreth Elliot had begun none too early to shield her beautiful young sister from the dangerous world that surrounded her, and that the shield was all too inadequate. He watched with a feverish sense of responsibility as the girl paced up and down the wide, old-fashioned hall beside a college youth, whose face, he assured himself, he liked less than any he had seen, infinitely less than Rob Sterrett's even. It was refined and cold and cruel. They were talking earnestly, Elfrida excitedly. The watcher could distinctly hear every word she said, and as the music in the next room grew louder, and her companion raised his voice, his words, too, were distinct. The young man made not the slightest attempt to withdraw himself from hearing. He wanted to hear. He was there to learn. The tramp question was evidently not the most formidable one that threatened some grades of society. Elfrida was still complaining of the games in schoolgirl superlatives. They were awfully silly and perfectly horrid, and she was utterly disgusted with it all. Her companion agreed with her fully. He had been surprised. He used to hear his uncle tell of such goings-on, but had not known that the customs lingered anywhere. So bewildering to him that any one should think for a moment of preferring such obsolete entertainments to the refining and elevating amusement of dancing. She danced, of course. Did she not? Now he was astonished. Dancing was the very poetry of motion, she must remember. Not that she needed it, every motion of hers was grace. 
he had singled her out from the first for this reason among others but she would enjoy dancing so much might he ask why she didn't indulge was it possible that her parents could approve of such amusements as they had here to-night and yet object to the dance elfrida winced over this the watcher could see that she did and struggled with herself to be truthful no she burst forth at last they by no means approve of entertainments like these i was never at one of their precious club meetings before the young man laughed pleasantly he assured her that he understood she had escaped like himself from the pressure of constant study for a little recreation and had found more than she sought but really she ought to give herself the pleasure of a single dance just to convince herself of the beauty of the movements and the real restfulness of the exercise after such hoydenish experiences as they had been through that evening he knew that a few very good and rather secluded people had still some old-fashioned notions about the dance growing out of certain abuses he supposed of the past but really these were fast disappearing and in cultured regions had disappeared entirely if he might only be allowed to promenade with her to the time of that delicious music he was sure he should remember it all winter why it made not the slightest difference her not knowing how he would teach her the necessary steps in five minutes she would take to it naturally he was sure as a bird does to song john stuart's face darkened as he saw the two a few minutes afterwards moving down the long parlor that had been cleared for dancing to the time of that delicious music he knew young men fairly well perhaps he knew college men and boys better than any other class he did not need to overhear the talk of the two a moment afterwards to assure him that he had not mistaken the character look at sailor with that bright-eyed gypsy in tow she belongs to a very exclusive family rex hartwell says the older sister will not attend these gatherings if her father were here i would tell him that i would rather she would be kissed six times by every country bumpkin present than dance fifteen minutes with a fellow like sailor doesn't it make you shiver to think how he will go on about her to-morrow this was what john stuart overheard he went out to the horses wishing that he were john stuart king a certified protector of elfrida elliot chapter seven